I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. California is requiring San Francisco to build 82,000 housing units within eight years. That equals about 10,000 new housing units each year, a very steep challenge for the city. That's about double what San Francisco has built in its most prolific years and about four times as much as it's averaged over the past two decades. Oh, and one more thing, more than half of those new homes must be affordable. San Francisco isn't the only city or county feeling the pressure. California is aiming to build two and a half million new units across the state. And State Senator Scott Weiner thinks it can be done by pushing aside local politics. When Weiner introduced SB 35 in 2017, the aim was just that, streamline construction projects in cities and counties that are lagging behind in their state housing targets. It's been in place ever since, and studies have found that it has sped up approval for thousands of units in California. Now Weiner wants to make SB 35 permanent. He unveiled his plans on Monday. It's very simple. If you meet all the rules... If you meet the zoning and the setbacks and the designs and everything else, you, you get your permit without a hyper-politicized, chaotic uh, process that could take years uh, and lead to litigation. Streamlining projects via SB 35 has benefited San Francisco residents like Elaine Luna, a formerly unhoused person who lives in a SOMA-supportive housing building, which was developed on what had been a parking lot thanks to the law. There's parking lots everywhere that, you know, aren't being utilized. And just like this parking lot, it was never utilized. You know, I saw how this was built, and blink of an eye, it went up. And if more places like this goes up, it's like, you know, you won't have to complain about everybody, you know, using the bathroom on the street. Today on Fifth Emission, Chronicle reporter Dustin Gardner joins me to talk about how SB 35 works and how it can help the state and San Francisco meet its housing goals. The legislation also has its opponents. Why are they against it? Dustin Gardner, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me back. Dustin, Senator Scott Weiner wants to make the 2017 law SB 35 permanent. He thinks it's been a powerful housing tool and a necessary one if the state wants to meet its lofty goal to build 2.5 million new units. Why does he think this is such an important law? Well, a lot of the efforts to build housing in California are getting roadblocked at the local level. You know, you have cities and towns that just don't make it very easy to build housing. A lot of them have what's called discretionary review, where any sort of project goes through a very detailed hearing process. This is especially true in San Francisco, where neighbors can object if they don't like the height or the look of something. And that's where, you know, a lot of projects die, or that's where a lot of projects get seriously delayed. And this bill would expand the number of projects that would would be able to go through ministerial review. And essentially, all this means is that if a, if a project meets the zoning and objective rules that a city has set, that it can be approved and it you know can't be denied for arbitrary reasons. Dustin, give me some example scenarios here. How does SB 35 get invoked exactly to fast track projects for developers? So a developer can invoke the law if a city is not meeting its state-mandated housing targets. California has a process known as the Regional Housing Needs Allocation, or more commonly known as RENA. And under this process, cities are given goals of they have to build X number of housing units within a set period of time. And if a city is not meeting those goals, then the developer can use SB 35 to skip that discretionary review process and just get a streamlined approval for the project. And, you know, we're starting to see this in a lot 
lot of cities, especially with affordable housing, the number of, of times a developer invokes that is really starting to accelerate. In San Francisco, for example, the number of projects has really like almost quadrupled in the last couple of years. And SB 35 has helped developers bypass roadblocks like the California Environmental Quality Act, or CEQA. That was a big issue we heard about in Berkeley when the UC Berkeley campus faced an enrollment freeze in the fall of 2022 because of a shortage of student housing. Tell me more about CEQA. Why has that been a significant barrier? CEQA is one of the thorniest pieces of California legislation for people trying to build housing. The law started in the 80s, and it was really intended to deal with environmental concerns around new construction. But the way that it's been interpreted by courts over time, CEQA has grown to cover all sorts of things like um, noise from traffic, congestion, things that aren't necessarily environmental issues. So neighbors that don't want housing in a certain area or neighbors that don't want affordable housing or denser housing in their neighborhood can use CEQA to file lawsuits that essentially ties projects up in litigation for years and years, and it drives up costs. In a lot of cases, it ends up just killing projects outright. Now that SB 35 has been in place since 2017, what do we know about its ability to speed up development here in San Francisco? When the law first took effect at the beginning of 2018, the initial uptake was pretty slow. There were just a few projects in the first couple of years. But what we've seen in the last several years is that the impact has really accelerated. Um, In San Francisco, we're now over 3,000 units have been approved. 2,000 of those have been built and completed. And that's according to data from the the city planning department. Looking more statewide, we know that there's at least 18,000 units that developers have invoked the law. 16,000 of those have been completed. And that number is likely an undercount because we don't have very good data uh, and housing advocates are in the process of advocating for a more thorough way to collect that data through the state. More with Chronicle reporter Dustin Gardner after a short break. Some people are against Senator Scott Weiner's proposal to make SB 35 permanent. Dustin will share why. Also, a quick reminder about our live fifth emission taping going down this Thursday. We'll be talking about labor organizing and tech layoffs with Zoe Schiffer and Anand Singh. And we just added a special guest to the lineup. W. Kamau Bell of CNN's United Shades of America will be with us, too. Catch those conversations in person and celebrate Fifth Emission's 1,000th episode with my co-host Damien Bola and me. We'll be at Manny's in the Mission this Thursday at 6 p.m. For tickets and info, go to welcometomannies.com. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at SF chronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Welcome back to Fifth Emission. I'm here with Chronicle politics reporter Dustin Gardner. Dustin, before the break, we discussed the benefits of SB 35 in addressing the state's housing crisis. It's set to expire at the end of 2025 and Senator Scott Weiner wants to make it permanent. What's different about this latest iteration of the legislation? 
You know, in a lot of ways, it's very similar. I mean, Wiener is essentially saying, you know, this this has worked really well. We're just starting to see it ramp up. Let's make it indefinite, not have it expire in a couple of years. But the other really big change is how the law deals with labor. There's language in SB 35, um, the version that's on the books now, that requires certain projects to essentially use union workers. And uh, Wiener wants to take that away and basically allow any housing project that would qualify under the law to pay workers what's called a prevailing wage. So this would uh, basically open the gates to allow more workers to build market rate housing on projects that qualify under SB 35. Hmm. I imagine this is going to ruffle some feathers here, removing the requirement to use union workers. Tell me more about the main opposition groups against Wiener's proposal. The biggest opposition is from the Building Trades Council of California. This is the union that represents most of the different construction trades. They're they're one of the most powerful unions for sure, and they have a lot of influence in Sacramento. They give to a lot of Democrats, and a lot of Democrats are wary of uh, you know of crossing the Building Trades unions. So they're a very large source of opposition. Um, but I should note, however, that there is some support for Wiener's bill. The California Conference of Carpenters, another very powerful construction union, they support this bill and they have supported other measures in the past that do not include that union-friendly language. And the main split within labor is that the carpenters say that they want to create an avenue to bring more workers into the profession through apprenticeship programs and by paying them better wages because many workers in this field are just not unionized today. And so there's a lot of exploitation and concerns about that. Um, on the other hand, though, the trades, they argue that the, the these protections are not good enough, um, that you need a a stronger set of of rules that require a certain percentage of workers on a job site to be union. So that's kind of the divide within labor circles. Mm. And of course, this is probably getting a lot of support from YIMBY groups. Is this intensifying the debate between YIMBYs and NIMBYs? Yes, this will definitely reignite that fight in Sacramento. So not only is Wiener dealing with, you know, the the opposition from some labor groups, he's also going to be fighting with some NIMBY groups that don't want to see cities lose their local control over what, you know, housing projects they have discretion to reject. So it is a two-front battle, and I think you will see a lot of the usual NIMBY objections to this, people arguing that cities need more power and authority to object to projects that don't fit the character or the density or the aesthetic of their city. Um, so he's got he's definitely taking on a big fight. Now, the state just approved a roadmap to build more housing, and that includes 82,000 housing units in San Francisco over the next eight years. Marilyn and Breed laid out a plan last week to help accelerate projects. If SB 35 becomes permanent on the state level, would that be a lot more significant and powerful than local efforts to speed up development? I mean, I think the idea is that this works in tandem with local efforts to streamline permitting and planning reviews, local efforts to provide more funding for affordable housing. The idea is that this can work in tandem with those efforts. But the reality is local governments just cannot do something as sweeping and aggressive as SB 35. And and the big reason is because of politics. I mean, getting something like this passed at the local level would be much, much more difficult. And so what we've really seen in California is that a lot of the more aggressive policy on housing comes from the state level because there are not the same political considerations that end up killing housing at the local level a lot of times. Now, the state has imposed housing requirements on cities and communities, like you mentioned, and the consequences for not meeting those requirements are stronger than ever. What are they? 
Well, with SB 35, one of the biggest consequences is they lose local control. Um, Cities get in situations where if they are not meeting their housing goals, they're going to have to streamline projects without having the discretion that they often like to have. But beyond that, um, they can lose funding. The way the RENA process works, that's the process where I talked about the state sets housing goals for every city. If a city doesn't meet those RENA goals over time, they start to lose funding from the state for things like um, streamlining planning and for homelessness support and housing construction. And I should say, if a city doesn't meet its housing goals, that goal doesn't go away. The number of units they don't build just gets rolled forward into the next housing cycle, and the city still has to get that built. So we're in a kind of a new era in California where cities don't have a way out, and the the goals have been getting tougher at the state level. And now SB 35 is really creating a mechanism where cities that don't meet the goal kind of have a bit of a gun to their head to get it done or give up all their power. So what's next for SB 35, Dustin? When will we learn its fate? So Scott Weiner just introduced the bill Monday, and he had a news conference in Soma in the city um, at the site of affordable housing project that was built using SB 35. It was a former parking lot that now has you know dozens of units, and many homeless people have been able to get off the streets through this project. Wiener seemed pretty optimistic that he has a strong coalition, um, but I will note there were some of the the trade union people who do not support the bill were also in the audience kind of waiting in the wings and people in the crowd were watching to see if they were going to create any sort of disruption and they ended up not doing that, but just kind of shows you there is a very strong union divide. So I think that is going to dominate a lot of the debates. And of course, you know, we mentioned the objections from NIMBY groups. And so we'll see. Um, Now this bill will will be scheduled for hearings in Sacramento. Wiener has a lot of influence. He is the housing committee chair in the Senate. He's a pretty good chance of getting it through the Senate. When things get over to the assembly, it could be a little more difficult, and Wiener's going to really have to look to other leaders in Sacramento and possibly the governor to see if they can help get this thing through. Dustin Gardner is the Chronicle's state capital reporter. For his story about SB 35, as well as his other reporting, visit sfchronicle.com and the Chronicle app. Curious to know what San Francisco would look like if it actually meets its goal of building more than 80,000 new housing units in eight years? You can find that answer in a story by the Chronicle data team. It's on sfchronicle.com, too. Thank you to Francesca Fenzi for editing this episode and to you for listening. 